Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to another episode of the Hoops Dramas Podcast, off-season edition. A little two-man game here, the pick and roll. Adam and Kurt. I'm the point guard. Kurt's a lot taller. Uh, can't can't dunk, though. How do you feel about your lack of dunking skills? You're like 6'5". Uh, why do you got to do this to me so early, Adam? Uh, <laughs> in, in, in my defense... I have five compromised discs in my back and bad knees. Having said that, I am 6'5", haven't been able to dunk since high school. It is embarrassing. So you have dunked then? Uh, twice. Well, then count it. You can dunk. Like 11 years ago. Count it. I'm, count I, it. I've never dunked. Oh, man. Well, I, I appreciate you finding the silver lining here. But uh, no, being 6'5 and consistently not being able to dunk, it's it's very sad. Very sad. I recorded an assist in a Harlem Globetrotters game. Hey, I've never thrown down. Hey, that's impressive, though. Well, it's all about ball movement, just finding the right play. Yeah, trusting your teammates. There you go. Uh, anyway, so today we're going to talk about some winners and losers in the NBA offseason. Uh, and it's been a wild one. Uh, I, I've watched a lot of baseball this year. Normally, this time of season or time of year, I always say that I prefer the NBA offseason more than I do Major League Baseball. That's not necessarily the case this year, but that's just because the White Sox have been awesome. But nonetheless, as entertaining as ever, uh, as pieces get moved and, you know, LeBron up to his old tricks, we'll be talking about the Lakers, uh, some really uh, deep teams in the East now. And uh, pre-recording, we were talking a little bit of a power shift, so we'll kind of get into that. But let's start in South Beach. We'll uh, take our talents there, if you will, uh, where the big name is Kyle Lowry. And then I think the sneaky signing is the re-signing of Victor Oladipo, who sure his health is a question mark. We don't know when we're going to see him on the floor, but in theory, even without Oladipo, you just created another defensive super team uh, in Miami when you had Lowry, who's just the quintessential Miami Heat style of play. Yeah, I think they had a lot of really good moves just to add on top of that. Uh, P.J. Tucker signing with them as well, as well as Markeith Morris. So I think that, uh, you know, we we go back a, a ways on the podcast, but talking about dogs, Adam. Dogs. I mean, th- this is, as you mentioned in the last podcast, just a team that is built around defense, and this is more Miami – I guess more of a heat style of basketball than we've seen in the last couple of years. So a lot of grinders, a lot of defensive stoppers, a lot of unselfish guys, veterans, guys that know how to win. So when you look at, uh, you know, losing Kendrick Nunn, not that big of a, a piece in my opinion, but you, know, you have Lowry Oladipo, uh, you know, when he gets healthy, if he gets healthy, um, re-signing Duncan Robinson was huge for them as well. So or resigning Jimmy Butler was big on top of that. Uh, so Bam, Jimmy, Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, uh, Oladipo, if he if he comes back, uh, Markeith Morris. Like, I think that they got a lot better, and in my opinion, probably uh, won the offseason for sure in terms of putting them in a position to win a title. Yeah, I mean, they definitely kind of climb right back up into it. It's tougher than ever. Um, I guess the X factor just by default becomes Bam Adebayo as their rising young star. 
I feel like we, we know who Kyle Lowry is at this point. And even though I really like the move, uh, it is interesting to give what he's 35 years old and he's getting three years uh, for quite a bit of money. And uh, it just kind of creates this weird situation where it's a great fit, but the window's open. I don't know how long it's going to be open with that construction uh, unless Bam out of bio becomes a superstar. Yeah. I, I think if they keep the team together as it's currently constructed right now, that, you know, the window will be open as long as they keep it together. Um, I, I think another piece that you need to look at is uh, Tyler Hero. You know, like, is he going True. to make another step? Because he was insanely good in the bubble. And I don't know if Jason Tatum was throwing shade his way, but in an interview where he's like, hey, some guy was just like acting different in the bubble. And he didn't name any names, but Tyler Hero obviously had a sophomore slump last year. I've yeah. uh, been doing a lot of ads in the off season, So I'm not here to say that he's not committed to basketball. Obviously, everyone is in the league for a reason. They're extremely good. But I think like, you know, if, if Tyler Hero can either play the way that he did in the bubble, that would be key. If he makes another leap into year three, that's just another score that could potentially get you 20 at any given time. So, yeah, I think the window is open as long as they keep it together. And I think one of the things to keep in mind or uh, keep an eye out for with Kyle Lowry is his game was never based on athleticism. That's it was always point. it was always based on intelligence and, you know, hey, how can I get my body in front of a guy? How can I draw a charge? How can I get a loose ball? How can I make the right pass? How can I hit an open shot? And I think that, you know, I don't, I don't think there's a single team out there that wouldn't want to have Kyle Lowry, regardless of how much his, uh, his contract is worth and how old he is. Just a smart basketball player that I think makes everyone better. So I, 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 I honestly think that, like, they could come out of the East for sure and, shoot, maybe even win a, a title this year the way that the roster is constructed and for years to come if they keep it together. Yeah, Lowry, uh, just under 40% from three last year. And just does everything. One of the best options as far as having a defensive point guard goes and uh, scrappy, scrappy. They have such a good dirty work team. And so it's kind of interesting is you can really see this with like Tom Thibodeau teams. Everyone starts to hustle in the playoffs. But these teams that already have those good habits – sometimes are at a bit of an advantage because they already know how to fight that fight instead of like, Oh, I guess we got to kind of like up our game here for the playoffs. Like that. No, this team's going to be playing their ass off every night. Um, so I would say, I think that they have a really good chance at having one of the best records in the NBA, like a better chance at having the best record in the East than actually coming out of the East. I don't think they'll necessarily do either, but this team's going to win a lot of regular season games uh, just on grit and toughness. And then, as you mentioned, you know, Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, that's so perfect to have those guys, especially as you, I think we are going to continue to see more Jimmy Butler at the power forward. And so you put Bam and Jimmy as your bigs and then get lineups where you have, uh, space on the outside via Robinson and hero and then let Lowry just set guys up. Uh, so who knows? I, I do think um, 
that point guard position is just confusing to me right now because Goran Dragic is gone. Obviously, you have Lowry, but then what is it going to be, Gabe Vincent? Is Tyler Hero going to get a major point guard minutes? Because I don't really trust him for that right now. Is it going to be Oladipo getting some point guard minutes? Or maybe they really do like Gabe Vincent, but right now, at least on paper, they only have uh, Lowry and Vincent at the point guard spot. I think you can also just have Jimmy, I mean, not necessarily run it as a traditional point guard, but be your ball handler that brings it up the floor and gets everyone involved. Because like I said, they also got PJ Tucker, so you could put him at the four if you want him to go a little bit smaller, but not really lose anything defensively. So I think obviously we're in the age of positionless basketball now. So it's, it doesn't really matter who plays what. I can't really say that unless you're, I guess, like egos get involved, like Anthony Davis refuses to play the five, stuff like that. But for the most part, I think that, you know, with the way that the roster is constructed right now, you can get a lot of guys that are unselfish, that play positionless basketball, that you don't really lose anything offensively or defensively if you're willing to go in, in whatever route to get the right matchup. And I think one of the things that we also have seen from Miami, uh, you know, whether it be Pat Riley or Eric Spolstra is they get everything out of their guys. Like there's yeah. no fall. off. They don't need to flip a switch. You're always on when you play for the Miami heat. So I think that, you know, it looks great on paper. And I think it's going to be even better once they start playing together and gelling a little bit. And as the season progresses. So again, like, would I say that they, well, are the favorites coming out of the East? Heck no. You know, I think the Brooklyn Nets are the best team in basketball and will, you know, are the favorites to win the NBA title. But could Miami come out of the East? It wouldn't shock me if they did. All right. Well, let's move on to the big apple, uh, the smaller of the two apples, though, even though the older apple, uh, the New York Knicks. I have super mixed feelings about their offseason. Some things I think are really good. Uh, but it just kind of riddled with question marks. And the reason I'm excited to talk to you about this one in particular is two members, two key members of the Boston Celtics team last year, now both New York Knicks and Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. And those were kind of their big sexy moves this off season. They, they really didn't do too much. But you add uh, Fournier, but this is NBA Fournier, not FIBA Fournier. And then uh, Kemba Walker, who, I don't know, man. I guess I'm not in anymore on Kemba. But what are your thoughts on the Knicks? I mean, yeah, you say two key pieces, but I don't know how key they were, to be honest with you. Uh, You know, Kemba Walker missing a handful of games, and his knee just doesn't seem to get better. It's just one of those things where it's like a ticking time bomb. It sounds like, like when he plays, he's decent. He's not Charlotte heck, uh, Kemba Walker by any right. means at this point. So I, I mean, from a Celtics fan standpoint, I thought it was great that they cut bait with him because, because I thought it was dead weight at that point. Fournier, he had some like really, really good games last year. And then he had some really, really terrible games for the Celtics. So I'm not mad that they lost out on Fournier, but yeah, you bring in those guys to the Knicks. I think the Knicks maybe got like a little bit better. They got a little bit deeper, but again, like I just don't know how much of a difference it's going to make because they brought back Alec Burks, who's a nice player, Nerlens Noel, Taj Gibson, extending Julius Randle. So they have like their core from last season is back, 
then you add a couple guys that can get you, you know, 15 off the bench or, you know, however they want to um, uh, work those guys into rotations. But I, I don't know if they got better. If they did, it's just by like the smallest of increments. You know, by no means do I think that these moves put them over the top. Maybe uh, it, it kind of reminds me of home repairs. You know, it's not like they're doing any renovations. They're not putting in a new deck. They're not, you know, putting in a new bathroom. Just like, oh, this this cabinet is a little loose. Let me let me fix that. Let, let me fix the toilet. Make sure that flushes properly because they got flushed. They got flushed in the playoffs by Atlanta. Uh, but it was because of a lack of offense in the playoffs. Like Derrick Rose was really their only consistent guy. And it was too easy for them. And it ironically is good as Julius Randle was all season. That was a really tough matchup when he had to consistently go against John Collins and Clint Capella. That's tough sledding. But to add Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier, you definitely add some uh, meaningful scoring pieces there. Uh, I guess what confuses me about the Kemba Walker thing, and I don't know if this is a hot take or what, but I think Derrick Rose is better than Kemba at this point. Uh, Kemba only played, what was it, 43 games last year? He only shot 42%. Uh, He was a a scoring point guard when he played, and he had some good games. But, like, the Celtics were arguably the most disappointing team in the Eastern Conference last year. You could make a case the most disappointing team in the NBA uh, when you look at the kind of expectations they had going in and what you thought you might get out of Kemba Walker versus what he actually delivered. And so there's no guarantee that this guy's even going to be healthy in the playoffs. And then Fournier... I, th- I think his days as a starter are probably over, uh, but you add just some de- bench scoring. So I, I agree with you. They got like incrementally better, but I don't think it's enough. And I frankly think that big media, you know, big sports media is going to overhype them. They're going to shove the Knicks down your throat. they will be a solid 43 win team, maybe 47 win team. Like Thibodeau teams always do really well in the regular season. They're going to play their asses off. Nothing about this roster says they get out of the second round for, or out of the first round rather for me. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And to use your analogy, I don't think the value of the home went up with these moves. Um, I also don't think that you can win a ton of playoff games with Julius Randle as your best player. He's a tremendous player, but like to be your go-to guy or the guy that you lean on or the guy that you expect the most out of, I just don't know if he's, in the superstar realm yet. And so if you have one star and a bunch of, you know, pretty decent players, I just don't think that that's good enough to win playoff basketball consistently the way that the league is constructed right now, where the teams that we've seen in the past have had multiple stars, if not multiple superstars that have helped carry them. Yeah. And and don't get me wrong. Like Fournier solid 17 points a game last year. Uh, He's like in the prime of his career. This is what you're getting from Fournier. Like we kind of know who he is at this point. Uh, just good, good sh- shooter, floor spacer. He can uh, get you with some of his crafty little European game uh, slashing inside, but he's not some elite athlete. Uh, so he, he will help the Knicks 
are going to be a tough out. No matter who they play, they're going to really challenge them. It's just not enough for me. Um, they're super deep. I'll give them credit for that. As far as depth goes, like Nerland's Noel has really turned into a nice defensive piece in the NBA. Uh, Obi top. And I think the jury's still out for me, at least on him. Uh, but he's, he's got the pot- potential to be a really good player. Uh, you you got to see so much more on the defensive end. He constantly looks lost out there and I don't think he's ready for big minutes. Uh, but you know, Burks, I really like Emmanuel quickly. Taj Gibson, who's been playing with Tom Thibodeau since like he came into the league pretty much. Uh, hard, hard had lunch bell team. He kind of embodies who they are. Taj Gibson, like solid, really solid. But come on, man. It's Taj Gibson. You know, they're, they're going to get destroyed if they face the Nets. I don't know if they're even better than the Bulls. They're certainly not better than the Bucks. Uh, not better than the Sixers. Just get ready for a long year of the national media trying to convince you that Julius Randle's an MVP candidate. Don't fall for it, folks. No, I agree with everything you said, Adam. I, I just don't know how much these moves really put them over the top or make them better than what they were last year where they lost in five to Atlanta in the first round. Well, let's uh, get out west here, the the big one. And, and Hami and I talked a little bit about this, but I want to get your opinion. Uh, the very, very old L.A. Lakers. I think with the Lakers, uh, it's like I, I, I don't think it's going out on a limb saying that they got better this offseason by any means. I mean, you, you bring in Westbrook. He's a good player. I think it'll work. I think Carmelo Anthony will uh, will be halfway decent as well. Um, but like Ariza, you know, what are you getting out of him? Dwight Howard. Like, people forgot he existed. Yeah. I mean, like Dwight Howard, a, a good bench piece, but, you know, he's like years and years away from being like a, a solid contributor. Uh, like I said, don't Kendrick, get me wrong. Uh, like he, he plays his role. Like he's this old school big man. He can come in and get his, you know, 11 points and 12 rebounds, but Superman is dead. Right. Uh, Kendrick Nunn, I think, is a decent player. Malik Monk, I think, is a decent player. They they did cut a lot of fat, in my opinion, with like Kuzma, Harrell, uh, Markeith Morris, like guys that they really couldn't find a, a good role for or enough minutes for. Um, obviously, like Caruso, a good spark plug for them. He's gone. I think a lot of what the Lakers' future looks like, uh, not looking beyond this season, of course, is just like how they manage the team. Because they could easily be the have the best record in the West, but it's like how many people are going to play X number of games? Yeah. Are you going to have guys play a ton of games so you can get a high seed and have a good record? Probably not, right? So if that happened, you would probably look at maybe some injuries there. So I imagine that they'll probably do a lot of load management, which then would probably put them, as we saw last season, obviously there were a lot more injuries last year, but – you know, if you're just looking at at it from a load management standpoint, you got a team that, you know, maybe will be in that 
four, five seed range, you know, depending on how many guys rest and how long they rest for. And then you're fighting an uphill battle when you got to play on the road and you got to play, you know, some of these really good teams that are young that are going to play all their games and also have a high seed. And then it just gets to the point where, you know, do you like that matchup of, okay, we can flip a switch and play Laker basketball once we get to the playoffs and no one's on a minute restriction or like I said, do you just try to put yourself in a, in the best position and just hope people don't get hurt because, you know, with the age and stuff like this, you know, this is a great team a decade ago. Um, but, but then I, it's obviously a very good team right now too. It's just a matter of, I, I don't know how they're going to approach the season. I think that is like the biggest caveat yeah. to their success. Yeah. Cause I mean, even some of these role players are really up there in age. I mean, Carmelo Anthony and LeBron James are literally the only two left from the 2003 draft class. Uh, Wesley Matthews used to be really nice. I think now he's like, I guess solid, you know, uh, X factor for me is actually Malik Monk. I really like his game. And if he can be, the kind of player to help them when guys are out, that could be absolutely crucial because he, he's your 23-year-old, you know, uh, only 11 points per game last year. But I, I just see a lot of potential in him. Uh, it's also going to be important to have him as a three-point shooter, 40% shooter from three last year. Um, but yeah, I have a lot of the same concerns with you, especially like, is it in your best interest to even try to get the one seed or do you, cause I, I don't, I don't think it necessarily is at the same time, it would be nice to have home court advantage, but I don't think, I can't think of a team in NBA history that was expected to contend and would is going to have to be this, I guess, concerned about how much can I play my best players? Yeah, and it's just uh, also a bunch of old guys who are, they say they want to play up-tempo basketball. You have to do that with Russell Westbrook. It makes me think – are we going to have more dinged up Anthony Davis and LeBron James? Say what you want about Anthony Davis. He's incredible, but he's had injuries. He's had a lot of injuries. He's had some bad ones in the playoffs. If the Lakers aren't right, it doesn't matter who they have uh, on paper. Like we saw that this year. So I think they'll be really damn good, but I just don't see them winning at all. Um, and I don't know if I could even feel great about predicting that they make it to the NBA Finals. I think they're fragile and old. All it takes is, you know, a tight quad or a turned ankle for the wrong guy. And you don't want to see a Lakers team without Anthony Davis or LeBron James at, at full force because all of a sudden – it will become the Russell Westbrook show and that time and time again is proven 
to be exciting, but it doesn't win. Yeah, I think to answer your question, I, I think they go the load management route. Obviously, that's kind of been what LeBron's been doing for, for years now. And I, I think that it gives them the best opportunity. You know, if you play a handful of games and you try to get as high a seat as possible, there will be injuries. So I think that the best way is for them to do some load management type type deal. But also, I think that they also will um, put themselves in a situation where uh, they can flip a switch just because they are such a veteran team. Um, I think that is something that uh, that will ultimately pay dividends down the road. So rest your players, try to get them as healthy as possible. And then at the end, just pray that you guys have the, the veteran leadership, the chemistry, uh, the experience to uh, you know flip the switch and play the rest of the way down the stretch. I mean, they're so good on paper, right? You have so many Hall of Famers on that team between Carmelo, LeBron, Westbrook, Davis, Howard. Um, but, you know, looking at that roster, I just wonder, how's that going to work with Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook? I, I don't know if it does. LeBron James is going to have to be taking a lot of threes. Um, I just don't trust the shooting. I have a lot of concerns. Uh, but they're so good that most of those guys I mentioned, or at least three of those guys on any given night can get hot and carry your team to a win. Westbrook can go 20 and 20 with 15 rebounds and the Lakers will get a win. But I, I do think we're going to see a, an evolved Westbrook. And uh, that kind of makes him the X factor Westbrook needs to be a little best, less ball dominant, but he's just got to set those guys up. And he, he said it best. His job is to make LeBron James life easier. So if, if he can do that, then they'll be all right. But I, I just have a lot of concerns about the construction of that team. It's old. You don't have a ton of shooting and you have three super ball dominant guys in James Mello and Westbrook Mello and, or I'm sorry, uh, Westbrook and James, of course, really good passers too. some of the best playmakers of their eras, but I don't know, man, I don't really believe it. Um, but if they don't come out of the West and then we can go back to like off season uh, reactions, if you will. But if, if they don't come out of the West though, who does? Cause they're definitely the favorite. Yeah. I mean, I like what Utah did uh, bringing in Rudy Gay, Hassan Whiteside and Eric Pascal. I think that that makes them better. And they were all already the best team in the league last year, at least record wise. Um, I think like the Warriors, I'm never going to count out the Warriors as long as you have, uh, you know, Steph who just resigned clay. Hopefully he comes back this year after being out for two years. Uh, you still have Draymond, uh, you know, Wiseman, I think was a, a promising young player for them last year. And then the, uh, 
the guys that they drafted this year, I really, really like in Moody and Kaminga, uh, especially Kaminga. I mean, he's been tearing up the summer league. Uh, I think that the uh, the Warriors also had some really good pieces uh, bringing in Bielitsa, who was uh, with Sacramento for a handful of years. He stretches the floor. Another big guy that can shoot, uh, play inside out. And then I think one of the most, maybe we're going out on a limb here, and I know it's asking for a lot, but I think the best move of the offseason could be, if he can stay healthy, Otto Porter on the league minimum. Yeah, because uh, Otto Porter is a phenomenal player, and he hasn't really been healthy. He hasn't found a, you know, his his niche per se. But I think if Otto Porter is healthy, and he can find his way into the rotation, I think that that is one of the best offseason moves that no one is talking about, uh, especially at the league minimum. And then I believe um, that Iguodala also agreed to come back last year or this year within the past week. So another guy who's just a a great glue guy, great defender, plays within the scheme really well, and just ultimately plays winning basketball and helps his team get better. So I think the Warriors are going to be tremendous again this year. Again, assuming everyone is healthy, which is a big assumption to make. But I like Utah. I like Golden State. The Clippers, I think, are more of the same. Mavs, kind of more of the same. So I you know, it wouldn't shock me again if the Lakers make it to the NBA finals, but I think that they're the team that has to do the most coaching, the most, you know, work in the training room and a lot of just like, Hey, how can we get everyone in the best position to contribute and succeed? They obviously have the the horses to do it. It's just a matter of how it all fits. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, back to my weird analogies it's like a bunch of rock and roll legends playing in a band together but a lot of these guys are like playing from completely different bands you might have a guy from metallica in westbrook and then uh somebody from wilco in uh carmelo anthony and you know like are you guys really going to be able to play music together i'm not doubting that you're all like you're all great musicians you're all talented songwriters. Like you've all done it. You've, you've been great for a really long time, but even looking at Carmelo Anthony, this is a guy who's, he deserves to have a job in the NBA. Don't get me wrong, but this guy was just out of the league. Trevor Ariza. Ah, he's, he's on that fringe. He's barely hanging on to his NBA life. He, he kind of had a resurgence last year with the heat, but, some air balls, some, some not pretty moments uh, and a lot of egos between Dwight, Mello, Westbrook, LeBron. We'll see. We'll see. I, I, I do agree with the Utah Jazz, and I think that, jeez, uh, if Donovan Mitchell doesn't get hurt last year, maybe we're talking about a different NBA champion. Who knows? I don't know if I'd go that far. I did th- at one point. I did think they'd win the championship, but uh, I, I think he is somebody who's ready to take that next step into superstardom as long as he can stay healthy. And I think it's so key that instead of Derek Favors coming in and playing these kind of different minutes, you're getting a poor man's Rudy Gobert in Hassan Whiteside. 
from what I've heard and the people I've spoke to work ethic and consistency have kind of been a common issue uh, for white side. We'll see if they can keep that together, but I do think that they're going to be really dangerous. And then um, a team that really didn't do much this off season, um, you know, I'll pull up their depth chart, but off the top of my head, I can't think of really anything at all that um, the Denver Nuggets have done. But with a healthy Jamal Murray, that's a team that could have come out of the West this year. Um, it's the same team, but now you get to finally see that team healthy because uh, it, it was a joke in the playoffs. They were impossibly injured, but that's another team that's could really give the Lakers some problems, even though the Lakers might be better on paper, the Nuggets team fits better. Uh, they, they have a bunch of really good passers, not just a bunch of really good ISO scores. Lakers got some good passers too, but um, the, the universe can kind of revolve around Jokic in Denver. And that's going to make sense. And he's going to make everyone better. And when you look at Russell Westbrook, historically, everything has to revolve around him And the same with LeBron. And so it's just, I, I got to see it to even, I, I can't imagine what that even looks like um, because the style of play is going to be so compromised with Westbrook. I, and we've never seen what that looks like. Westbrook has played one way his whole career. And now he's going to have to be a different player. I don't know if he can do it. So it's probably way too much time on the LA Lakers, but people, people love to talk about them. Uh, let's, let's go back East. Cause this, this is the one I know you always have a close eye on and they just uh, made a smart move as Stefano said in our group chat. Uh, Marcus Smart's back for the Celtics. They also got Josh Richardson now. Uh, Dennis Schroeder on a hilarious discount. Uh, Al Horford's back. Uh, Time Lord uh, denied the Marvel movie contract and decided he's going to uh, keep rocking with the Celtics. And as Cantor is back for the 37th time. Uh, I don't know what the deal is with Jabari Parker. <laughs> Have to bring up him up, Simeon uh, Wolverines. And then Chris Dunn, another defensive piece. So I, I do like what the Celtics did. I think they quietly improved. Yeah, they, they trimmed the fat as well. Um, they got rid of Shemi Ojale, who I've been trying to get out of the Celtics locker room for three years now. Um, they got rid of Tristan Thompson as well, who just a little underwhelming last season. He it played some bad. good games. But I just don't think that he's your true center that you throw out there every game. Um, and then obviously, like guys like Cornet, uh, Trey Waters, you know, they're all gone. So I just think that they have a, a more solidified group, if that makes sense. Guys that you know, I think, are going to be better contributors. Um, you know, Horford hated to see him go. Uh, what was it, a few years ago? Um, having him back. I think one of the things from the a Celtics fan standpoint that has been frustrating is just they haven't had like a really good big since like 2012 with Kevin Garnett, who was on obviously uh, his last 
uh, stretch there with the Celtics, but like they get killed on the glass. They don't really have a ton of rim protection. So, you know, it, it's been frustrating for, you know, the better part of a decade to just continue to see them uh, get wings and guards, even if they're good players. I would have liked to see them get a, a little bit uh, more depth in the front court. But, yeah, again, bringing back Marcus Smart for a four-year extension, so now he's on for five years, $92 million. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, I mean, for one year, $5.9 million when you probably won't win the title. Um, I, I think it's just – gives people a little bit of hope. You don't have to keep them around after this year. Uh, and then next year they have a little bit more uh, cap space to work with where they can bring in a, a max player. Uh, from what I've been hearing, they're looking at Beal from the Wizards or uh, Levine from the Bulls to fill out kind of like that third star uh, spot on the roster. Uh, Richardson, I was you know super disappointing last year with the Mavs. So we'll see what we get out of him. Uh, obviously we had some really good years in Miami and I think he's a quality player I think the Celtics got better for sure but to me it was less about who they brought in and what the roster construction is going to look like next year and more about the pieces that they just got rid of um also like Pritchard has been playing phenomenal in the summer league uh I think he's a really really nice piece uh you still got Neesmith that they drafted last year um Romeo Langford who was hurt and he's an elite defender as well uh, has been playing really well in the summer league for what that's worth. So I think defensively, they were already a, a good team last year, but I think that their defense is going to be just way better Stupid this year. Good. Yeah, and I, and I think that they're just going to find guys who can just contribute more, whether it's more minutes or just find themselves a role where they can, where they can contribute because they got deeper because depth was a problem for them last year. So, again, like looking at it on paper, they brought in some really good pieces. Smart, Schroeder, Cancer, Richardson, Horford. Those are all really good players, I think, in their roles. It's just a matter of how it all fits because, obviously, Tatum and Brown are going to be your horses. Yeah. I mean, I think they're going to be up there with Miami and Milwaukee as far as the toughest teams for anyone to score against because there's not really a position you can attack. You know, there's like Robert Williams is your dirty work center. He's, he's going to be tough. He's probably the weakest link. Um, but that's who, who knows? Maybe they start Horford. Maybe you're getting both. Uh, but Horford's still a really good defender. Tatum and Jalen Brown are world-class defenders. Richardson and Dunn are both very, very good defenders. Uh, Marcus Smart is one of the most annoying people on planet earth when it comes to being a, a feisty defender. Uh, I, I do want to just circle in on that Horford move because I feel like people forgot how valuable he can be. And the Celtics kind of lost some of that identity after he left in the, after the 2018, 19 season, but per 36 minutes last year, Horford had the most points he's had per game since uh, he was 27 years old. And the, this is just for 36. He obviously wasn't playing uh, 36 minutes last year. Uh, he was playing about 28, and he only played in 28 games. Uh, the, the Thunder kind of shut him down. But shout out to our buddy Noah Ambuel, who uh, invited me to help him manage his fantasy basketball team last year. And we wound up picking up Horford because he was just putting up steady numbers. 
And so you're getting this guy who's a versatile defender, not quite as quick as he used to be, but he's still Al Horford. He's going to shoot 36% from three. Um, that per 36 last year was really nice. 18.3 points per game, uh, 8.7 rebounds, 4.3 assists. So the, the rebounding numbers aren't crazy, but he can flirt with a triple-double on any given night. And I think that he's just a stabilizing presence on both ends of the floor. And I, I think it's just huge for them to get him back. I think he makes Horford – or I'm sorry, I think he makes uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum better. And that's what everything has to run through. And so if you can even getting Kemba out of there, even though let's say Kemba's healthy, like you need more ball handling from Jason Tatum. We're at the point in his career where you need to let him be a MVP candidate, not just an all-star. Like this is his time to go have a 30 point per game season put the ball in this man's hand and it's time for him to put the world on notice. He had, he's gotten better every single year. This is going to be his fifth year in the league. He went from 14 a game to 16 a game to 27 a game, or I'm sorry, to 24, 23 a game, then to 27. I think this year he's, he hits 30. Uh, he's always been a really good three point shooter. The big put me on notice game was against the San Antonio Spurs, a game they had no business winning. And then Jason Tatum's like, I got this. And he goes for 60. And so the Celtics are a sneaky contender to come out of the Eastern Conference for me if Tatum can have an MVP year. But I wouldn't put it past him. I think Jason Tatum uh, is my, he actually is my dark horse MVP candidate. Uh, when you consider the kind of progression he's had year by year. And, you know, this man's going to be 24 in March. Sky's the limit. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast before. I think a lot of it is just his mentality. Um, I think before there was kind of like a feeling out process where he's just trying to figure out what works for him. And now that he is an absolute star in this league and borderline superstar, I think it's just a mindset thing. Like, can he turn it on? Can he be the alpha? Can he say, hey, give me the ball. I'm going to get you a bucket. We saw a lot of that last year. Um, he had a really good game against Milwaukee where he hit that game winner off the window from three. Um, you know, Jalen Brown obviously was hurt last year. I haven't heard anything that says that he wouldn't come back on time. But, you know, how, how rusty will he be? How in shape will he be? Uh, it's obviously Jason Tatum's team. It's right. a matter of, you know, how much control does he want and how much does he want to, uh, you know, kind of like put the team on his back. But again, the pieces around him are phenomenal. Uh, you know, Bruno Fernando, just throwing that out there. Also a, a decent piece who can contribute off the bench that they got this offseason. So I like the roster construction. Um, not a ton of, uh, I guess, like next level type players, you know, you hope that you can see Tatum and Brown take another step, but I think everyone else is kind of just a really good, solid supporting cast that can help you. Which is what you want. It's time to have 
a focal point and it has to be Tatum. Uh, I got two more teams circled on my list. Uh, one that you mentioned and seem to think might be an off season loser. And I got to agree with you. They didn't really fix any of their problems. And maybe they got a little worse in a team that they have no, ch- or a time when they have no choice to get better. The Blazers got a little worse. Not a sexy offseason. Dame time, it might be uh, running up. Uh, You know, him him pointing to his watch hand might start to symbolize that the time is running up on his uh, Portland days. I think he'd love to stay there, but I don't think they're doing enough to keep him there. What are your thoughts on the Portland Trailblazers? Yeah, I think in an offseason where they needed to make a big splash just to show Damian Lillard that they're committed to winning and committed to helping him win an NBA title. And I know that like the market is going to dictate a lot of things and Portland isn't necessarily a free agent destination. I think it'd be really difficult for uh, Portland to recruit really, really big names. Obviously, their top two players were drafted in Lillard and McCollum. But, you know, we've we've seen the uh, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum song and dance for you know, years now. And it just doesn't seem to, I, I can't say it's not working. They just need more. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, where, you know, what moves do you make the front court? They've bolstered that in the past. Uh, and then guys have gotten hurt the wings. They haven't really gotten a ton out of, and then they bring in Roko, who's a really good player. Yeah. And it's just, and I like Powell too. Yeah. They brought back Norman Powell on a, on a nice deal for him. Uh, I think he's a solid player, but they, they just can't seem to get the right uh, mix of guys at the same time. Uh, you know, your your guard play has been really good with Lillard and McCollum in the past, um, but they can't really figure out the wings when they've had the bigs playing well. They haven't really had the uh, health at the front court role uh, when the wings have been playing well. And so, you know, when you look at their off season, Norman Powell, okay, that's fine. It's not sexy, but it's fine. Bringing in Ben McLemore, underwhelming. Cody Zeller, underwhelming. Tony Snell, super underwhelming. So it was just one of those things where in a year where there have been rumors that, hey, Lillard wants out. Is he going to leave? Is he going to request a trade? Has he requested a trade? You would have just liked to see them kind of pull out all the stops because obviously Lillard is not a guy that you want to see leave. And if you're a Blazers fan, he's everything to your franchise since 2012. Yeah. So I Again, like I don't know how much power the front office had and and what their options were, but I know that the the way that the roster is constructed right now, it you know I, I don't see them being better than last season, and I just don't see them having the you know whether it's commitment or the people in the locker room that are going to make Damian Lillard think that this is a title contender because it's just not. No. Do you think, are there any players off the top of your head besides Lillard, of course, that are like a get me out of here player right now that maybe they could trade for? Because if I'm the Blazers, my thought process is this. It's time to trade CJ McCollum. No disrespect to CJ McCollum, but we've, we've seen the song and dance. And what's the worst that happens? Like you don't have anything to lose anymore. Like if if you trade CJ and see if you can get someone else that works better alongside Dame, then you're you're like 
giving it another shot. And but he's your best trade value piece. And at this point, you need to do something very aggressive to try to get better. I don't I don't know who that would be. Um well, the big rumor at- they had in the offseason was, or not this offseason, but last offseason and kind of throughout the season was trading CJ straight up for Brad Beal, which would be a, a big Highway move. Robert. Portland. I still don't think that that, you know, puts Portland over the top by any means, but no, I, I agree with you that you gotta, you gotta shake it up somehow. Um, you know, they, they've just had Lillard and McCollum together for so long and it just hasn't worked out. And as you mentioned, McCollum's your greatest trade piece at this point. Um, I do think that pulling something, uh, I, I don't necessarily want to call it drastic, but like I do think that they need to make an upgrade and get uh, Damian Lillard some more help. And Brad Beal has consistently said that he wants to stay in Washington. And then there are times where he's like, oh, but I also want to play with my St. Louis little brother, Jason Tatum, up in Boston. And so – it was just one of those things where it's like, I, I don't know where Brad Beal's head is at. Uh, but again, he needs to get out of Washington. I mean, he's needed to get out of Washington for years. And I know that the rumors were floated around last year about McCollum for, for Beal. I don't really think that that helps either team drastically, but I do think it makes Portland a lot better and at least gives them a, a new sense of life, I guess, if you were to bring in another superstar to pair with Dame. but. I agree with you. You know, the Dame time might be running out in Portland for sure, regardless of how committed he says he is. Uh, I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole because, frankly, this team is boring to me, uh, and I don't get it. But some people are really excited by the Washington Wizards offseason. Are you one of those people? Heck no. No. Heck no. What are we supposed to be excited about? I, I Right? Like – Kyle Kuzma, what has he done for me ever? Why are there still people in the Kyle Kuzma camp? He's 26. Yeah, proven to be unreliable. Yeah. I saw a stat that surprised me. He made more threes last year. I haven't fact-checked this. I'm going to right now. But he made more threes than Trey Young. But I guess that would make sense. All he was was a corner three-point shooter for them. But I don't think Kuzma – I think Kuzma at times like really hustles his ass off, can keep possessions alive. Uh, But you don't see it super consistently. Yeah, I mean, like KCP, you know, what are you going to get out of him at this point in his career? Uh, Kuzma has just proven to be inconsistent and unreliable. I don't know if Montrez Harrell is damaged goods. Obviously, he won the sixth man of the year two years ago. Um, so maybe it just wasn't the right fit with the Lakers. But, you know, he's always been a tweener. So it's just a matter of, you know, where do they fit him in? What kind of plays are they running for him? And what confuses um, me about that is Harrell would be a perfect fit with the Westbrook Wizards. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you are pushing and it makes sense to have this, like, kind of fast break center, this scrappy dude. But, like, what is Spencer Dinwiddie? You're Russell Westbrook now? What are we doing? They also paid a lot of money for Dinwiddie coming off a major injury. Yeah. So, and uh, again, Brad Beal's there, but 
you know, how much winning bat. I mean, I don't think it's a fair expectation at all to think the Wizards are going to be anything this year. I don't think they're making the playoffs. But, no, I, I would agree with that. I think that is a safe assumption. We could be wrong. We'll see. Maybe Denny Avija goes crazy. <laughs> we don't know. Um, all right. One more team I want to get into uh, before we wrap this one up. The Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I think they, they they get an A. They didn't have to do much. Pretty much don't don't blow it. And they didn't blow it. Not only did they not blow it, but they had two very small, very nice additions. Rodney Hood, the health is, seems to always be a question mark with him. I don't necessarily know how much he has to give at this point in his career, but he doesn't have to give much. He does not have to give much. Just a long athletic, not as athletic as he used to be, but just a long athletic floor spacer, nice shooter. But the, the deal that I love, and this is actually, I think, the steal of the offseason, maybe. Maybe. This is like my offseason dark horse, if you will. But I think Grayson Allen is a massive pickup for the Milwaukee Bucks. At times, this team really missed Dante DiVincenzo. I believe that Grayson Allen is a better defender than DiVincenzo. He shot 42% from three. I'm sorry, uh, 39% from three. Uh, 42% from the field. But I think that's a misleading stat because five of his eight attempts were coming from three. Um, But this is your perfect Milwaukee Buck right now. He's going to play his ass off. He doesn't necessarily need the ball. If you hit it on the outside, he's going to knock it down. He's extremely annoying. He fits their identity. And he makes them slightly better. They don't need to get much better. You don't want to change the whole identity of this team. But the fact that they have Grayson Allen coming in and hopefully a healthy Dante DiVincenzo, you're looking at a different animal. uh, Or not a different animal, uh, but a more dangerous one. All of a sudden, this team has a shooting guard. It was kind of a question mark all throughout the whole playoffs. Yeah, and they didn't give up much for Grayson Allen either. It was Sam Merrill, the final pick in the draft last year, and a couple other additional picks. So, you know, you you have Grayson Allen, DiVincenzo, as you mentioned. You still have the major core together of Holiday, Middleton, and Giannis. Uh, Brooke Lopez still there. And then they brought back Bobby Portis on a, a small deal as well, one year, $3 million. So he obviously provides some versatility and some size. And Bobby Portis, obviously a fan favorite out there in Milwaukee. But again, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. So they, yeah, like I said, I don't think that they needed to make a ton of moves. Um, But yeah, they definitely didn't blow it. They kind of stood pat, got a little bit better. Um, I don't even want to say address some issues because again, if you win an NBA title, um, you know, there's not a lot of issues to address, but they lost a guy like Bryn Forbes, who uh, had a lot of DNPs at the end of the season. So I don't really see that as, as much of a loss. 
Um, so yeah, you just bring back kind of the same band you had last year with a, a little bit of, uh, you know, more offensive and a little bit more defensive uh, grit, I guess I should say. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it's a sneaky off season. I don't know what you would categorize it as, but a quiet off season where the team didn't really need to do a whole lot, but definitely didn't get worse. Whereas, you know, yeah. once guys win NBA titles, they're like, Oh, where's the money? Um, you know, I've already checked that box in my career. How can I be a contributor and maybe set myself up financially for the future? But they didn't have key pieces leave. So, again, Milwaukee definitely going to be another contender out of the Eastern Conference. I'd probably slide them in at that number two or three spot, depending on how high you are on the, on, uh, the Heat. But obviously a healthy Brooklyn Nets team with KD, Harden, and uh, – Kyrie, and then you you bring back Blake Griffin, Bowen, and uh, bring in Patty Mills. I think the Nets got a little bit better as well. Okay, yeah, I, I think uh, the Bucks just had to not blow it. George Hill, Jeff T, Drew Holiday, like all safe point guards. Uh, Connaughton, DiVincenzo, Grayson Allen, all pretty safe bet shooting guards. Connaughton, you can put in really two through four, which is nice. Um, just because of how tremendous of an athlete he is. But they're an athletic, long shooting team uh, built around the best player in the world. So uh, I, I, I'm right there with you. I think that they could land anywhere one through three in the final standings. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they win it again, though. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they repeat. Um Let's. I might as well ask you. So you think the Nets had a pretty good off season? Then uh, is it just the Patty Mills, or is there anything else in particular? I mean, re-signing KD, which is something everyone expected. But right. you know, it, as long as you keep those three together, Harden should be healthy uh, once he gets that hamstring arrest. Uh, bringing back KD for four years. James uh, Johnson, kind of nice. Like they needed another tough guy. He's a bully. Yeah, yeah. I mean. He'll bring some grit. Um, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, just bringing in Cam Thomas. I really love his game. Uh, Oak Hill star, leading uh, scorer in the history of Oak Hill, which is probably one of, if not the premier high school basketball programs in the country. Uh, Played really well at LSU in his freshman year. Had a really good NCAA tournament and then has just been tearing it up in the summer league. So a little undersized. I believe he's like 6'4", 200 pounds. But a streaky shooter, a great scorer, a guy that I think is really going to contribute off the bench this year for Brooklyn and a year where they obviously don't have a lot of cap space to make major moves, right? It's all locked up in the big three. So to have a guy that they get in the draft pretty late in the draft as well, that I think is going to be a good scorer off the bench. I like Uh, Blake Griffin, obviously not what he used to be uh, with the Clippers or even in his early days with the Pistons, but he proved to be a really good defender And a guy who's willing to get on the floor, get some 50-50 balls, um, and really be kind of a a team defender. Uh, Again, Bowen, I think he's a a decent player. Um, And then you have um, the Patty Mills, who has just been like, he's he's just been so underrated his whole career down in San Antonio. Just like a a great guy and, you know, one of those people that you, I think everyone would want on their team, kind of like a Kyle Lowry. Um, I think that every team has a spot for a guy like Patty Mills. So again, didn't blow it up, didn't blow it. 
uh, didn't need to make a ton of moves because I think that the, the Nets win the title as long as they're healthy without question. So maybe you say, hey, do you make upgrades in the training room to keep guys healthy? Um, but in terms of the roster construction, um, I think the Nets did probably the best that they could have done given their circumstances. Yeah, that that's accurate. Um, I should say Brown. I kept saying Bowen. Brown. Oh, my gosh. I, I like heard Brown in my mind because I knew exactly what you were talking about. Uh, a little Freudian slip there. Um, Bruce Bowen, Bruce Brown. And uh, Kyle Korver, the coach, uh, special player development assistant. I think that's quietly a a good pickup. Kyle Korver is such a master of conditioning throughout his NBA career. And he has that like 26 point checklist of uh, perfect shooting. And so I don't know, I'm going out on a limb and saying that that's going to help guys like Blake Griffin, you know, someone who's like been asked to shoot more and um, their games evolved and has turned into a pretty serviceable three point shooter. Uh, That's going to help the role players. We all know how special Kyrie Irving, uh, James Harden, and Kevin Durant are um, I, the same thing with the Nets though, is same thing last year. Karma almost, you know, it's like, are, are there is, are weird things going to happen? Like last year, Kyrie took a bunch of games off and then he got hurt in the playoffs Kyrie, or and then uh, you know James Harden comes in fat, didn't have great conditioning, got hurt in the playoffs. The team's got to be committed. I, I I question the desire to be consistent. Uh, being great isn't just about having great players, and that's my biggest concern with the Brooklyn Nets. I have no doubt that they with the, they have amazing players. On paper, they have the best team in the league, but I think that there's going to be a hungrier teams out there. And if a couple things go awry, like they did last year, the Nets are no lock for an NBA championship, let alone a finals appearance, especially when you got Milwaukee barking. And when you, if, if you have a Nets team run into a healthy Heat team and, maybe Kyrie's out or any of the, one of those big three is out. Like it's going either way, the heater, the deeper team. Uh, and we all see, or we all saw what the bucks were able to do. Granted, no Kyrie Irving, but they won that series and they're going to have more guys back too with uh, DiVincenzo and Grace Allen. Uh, so I don't think that the nets are a lot to come out of the East. They are my favorite to come out of the East, but I'm looking across the NBA landscape and I look at the Nets and I look at the Lakers and I get why they're most people's favorites, but I'm also a little concerned. I think it's anybody's league right now. I wouldn't be surprised if the Heat are the NBA champions. Wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks run it back. Wouldn't be surprised if Denver's wearing the crown. We'll see. We'll see. Any closing thoughts, my friend? Yeah, we teased it a little bit earlier. We don't have to touch on it much, but I do think that the East is 
uh, a, a oh, little yeah. more top heavy, I guess. I yeah. mean, I think top top to bottom, the West is the better conference for sure. But in terms of NBA contender or NBA title contenders, uh, I think you really have to look at Brooklyn, Miami, Milwaukee as being three very, very good teams. Uh, so I would argue, and uh, I don't know, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I think the East has the the better conference, just in terms of three teams that are you know really really set to win the NBA title. Whereas, as I mentioned, yeah, there are some teams out west that are really good, but a lot more has to go right for those teams. I think yeah. to win a title versus the uh, three that I mentioned out east. So you know maybe the Eastern Conference isn't the uh, the, the slouch that it was when LeBron was out there. Yeah. That, so. And so let's, let's list off the top 11 teams. So it's not number in the NBA. Number one, I, I have to go bucks because they are wearing the crown. So they must win uh, or they, they have to be my number one. And then I'm going the nets. Then I'm because they gave the bucks the most trouble. And then I'm probably going Lakers. And then is it Heat? Is it Clippers? Jazz. Yeah, Heat, Clippers, Jazz. Suns should be really good, but the Suns didn't really make any upgrades. Right. Uh, just bringing back CP3. And I think one of the things that was overlooked maybe, and I don't necessarily think it's like a bias take, but I think it's safe to say the Bucks and the Suns were not the two best teams in the, well, I guess, you know, from each conference last year. I think a lot of it, uh, was based off of health. So I, I do think that if you factor in health this year and just assume everyone is healthy at this point when we're making kind of a, a preseason prediction, I don't think it's safe to say that the Suns will be back in the NBA Finals, uh, despite them not blowing it up and returning a lot of the same pieces that, you know, have them have a 2-0 series lead against Milwaukee. But, you know, Suns, I think, will be really good. Uh, I mentioned the Jazz and... I think it is very, very, very unwise to sleep on the Warriors when they're getting a lot of good pieces, a lot of athleticism, a lot of people that can drive and dish. And, you know, we haven't seen Clay for two years. Uh, Steph was phenomenal last year in kind of a role where he had to put everyone on his back. So by no means uh, are the Warriors kind of out of the, uh, the title picture as well. And I think everything after that, it's kind of just, you know, Philly, Boston, Atlanta, uh, the Chicago. <laughs> Chicago Bulls, I think, are definitely a playoff team this year. Um, yeah, it's just we'll we'll see what happens, but yeah, I think the the top teams are out east for sure. It's a dogfight, man. I can't wait for it. Uh, it should be a ton of fun. Uh, thank you for uh, checking in today. Uh, Longer than anticipated episode, but that's kind of to be expected when we get on here together. Uh, always like to get uh, deep into it with you. So uh, thank, thank you for hopping on. And uh, thank you all the listeners. Check out, uh, if you like our artwork, The Wax Cowboy on Instagram. You can DM him if you're looking to get some work done. And uh, we will see you next time, or you'll hear us next time on the Hoops Dramas podcast.